Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. Here we are together uh, on the uh, eve, we say the eve, the morning, the eve of Shavuot, uh, on the uh, Bible calendar, the Jewish calendar. Uh, Next week we'll celebrate Pentecost. Someone was wondering, well, do I sow my first fruits this week or next week? Either week or any time in between, uh, uh, you're able to sow uh, your first fruits. And so uh, today, because tonight begins uh, Shavuot, Shavuot uh, I want to teach a little bit on that. And um, uh, it, uh, it connects with uh, the Torah portion out of Numbers chapter 1. We finished uh, Leviticus last week. Now we're in Numbers And each week we're going through uh, the Bible and uh, the book of Numbers, uh, uh, just to preface some things, is a book of history. All right, it's it's devoted to telling the story of the Jewish people. The Jewish people are our spiritual ancestors, right? And so it's important that we learn this because if you go into Ancestry.com, you'll see all these green leaves that take you all the way back to Moses and Abraham and even back to the Garden of Eden. So, uh, but Numbers takes us up to and includes the 40 years in the wilderness. <clears throat> and this week, uh, the uh, uh, chapter 1 begins with God having Moses take a census of the people. Uh, and on a deeper level, and uh, we've taught about this in the past, I won't get into it much today, but on a deeper level, the census... Uh, is emphasizing how much God loves Israel because each and every person is identified uniquely and specially in the eyes of God. Amen? And that still happens today, by the way. Uh, It's also a call to every person to realize that we're here not just uh, for a what's in it for me. Serving God isn't just what's in it for me. Uh, And the census tells us that we need to be thinking about what's in it for my children and grandchildren. All right? And so there's a calling there for each of us to work this out in our lives that the life I'm living, the commitments I'm making, the priorities I'm setting are in part to pass down a legacy to our family, to our children's children. And uh, so thus, that means there's a call to leadership, right? Every believer is a leader. Uh, Whether you have a business card or a shingle out in your front yard that says, I'm a leader. (laughs) You're a leader on some level, and especially on the family level. And so uh, may the Holy Spirit 
uh, empower us in that role of being a leader, a family leader, and of uh, leaving a legacy. It's don't wait until your funeral <laughs> to decide what goes in the dash. From 1940 to 2023, and the dash, what goes in the dash? Don't wait until you're on your deathbed to consider that. Let's do that starting today, shall we? Amen. Amen. And so, uh, this Torah study, Bamidbar, Numbers 1, is usually read uh, the week before Shavuot. the, the church knows Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, is Pentecost. And, uh, and we'll talk a little more about that in just a minute. But tonight, at sundown, we begin officially this biblical celebration. Whether we realize it or not, it's happening. It's an appointed time on God's divine calendar. And uh, with that in mind, I wanted to focus on some... Uh, essential prophetic insights that come out of the study of this biblical holiday of the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, or what the church identifies as Pentecost. Amen? And so uh, the, uh, the Bible in Leviticus 23 lists seven major feasts of the Lord. And these seven major feasts include Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks. Now, they are Jewish feasts. We're not trying to appropriate something from the Jewish people and uh, culturally, religiously appropriate something and take it away so they have less and we have more. But what we are trying to do is understand how do I graft myself into that revelation, and instead of uh, trying to push it away, how do I embrace it, internalize it, and take away some of the truths that God embedded in it? And so they are Jewish feasts, but God actually says in Leviticus 23, these are my feasts. My feast. So if God says these are my feasts, they become biblical holidays for anyone who wants to learn more about them. You can learn as little or as much as you want. Uh, now that I've spent many, many years studying the feasts of the Lord and obviously many other things, it pains me to realize that our children, we're talking about a legacy, our children know more about Halloween than they know about Shavuot. Amen? Can we talk? So, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, that's that holiday that's celebrated. It's really uh, connected to Passover. For 50 days after Passover, count for yourselves, count up 50 days, and on the 50th day, I'll have a second outpouring of signs, wonders, and miracles. Passover is kind of the born-again experience for the modern-day New Testament believer. Uh, but God has more than one experience. And this is all embedded in the feasts of the Lord. They reveal God's master plan of redemption. He just doesn't want to save us. He wants to fill us with the power of His Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And that's, uh, that's a journey. And that's symbolized in those seven weeks of seven Sabbaths. And then on the 50th day, 50 in Greek means Pentecost, uh, there's going to be a fresh outpouring. How many of you in your own life welcome a fresh outpouring of God's wisdom and God's anointing? Come on, somebody. We need that. Especially in America today, the church needs revival. The church needs a Pentecost experience, don't they? So, uh, Pentecost didn't actually start in the book of Acts. Christians aren't taught this. Pentecost started at Mount Sinai 3,400 years ago when God gave an outpouring of the Ten Commandments and gave the Israel and the Jewish people and by extension gave the world the Torah, the Bible. And in Jewish history, this is probably the single biggest event that happened in all of Jewish history. And in, in reality, it, it, for Christians, the giving of the Bible should be a big deal. <laughs> How many of you treasure the Bible? How many of you are glad I've got the Word, the whole Word, and nothing but the truth of the Word? <laughs> Amen. However that goes. But what happened at Mount Sinai, the giving of the Torah was so powerful in the Jewish psyche, the Jewish mentality, that it, that's what shaped their religious character. That's what shaped the faith that they've held on to for all these centuries, these millenniums. And it shaped their destiny. God spoke to a nation Two million people heard the voice of God. He spoke to us. It's a national revelation. And we're going to treasure that revelation and preserve that revelation and pass it down as a legacy. And it's worked. America's the beneficiary of this. Because the laws of Moses have been embedded in uh, jurisprudence. American judicial and legal system has all been founded on the laws of Moses. Some of the laws of Moses ceremonially concerning the temple change. But the ethical and moral laws of Moses are timeless, classic, divine principles and guidelines for any person or any nation to live successfully. The Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Or is it the other way around? I always get those two. (laughs) So, really, the Judeo part of our Judeo-Christianity is the moral basis for Western civilization. I wonder why the socialists and the anti-religious let's worship the state crowd, I wonder why they want to burn it all down. Could it be that it's not racism, but could it be a hatred for the things of God? 
I hate God so much, the devil hates God so much, that whatever he can do to discredit or defame or in some way just destroy what God has put into this world, if he can change the narrative and make it his narrative, then he's succeeding. And God is looking for a people who will rise up and say, "Uh uh-uh, not on my watch. I'll pray against it. I'll vote against it. I'll use my social media to voice against it. Whatever I have to do to stand up for being one nation under G-O-D, capital G, Yahweh, Jehovah, Jesus Christ. That's what I'm about. That's what you're about. And so what we need to realize is that as Christians, what God gave at Mount Sinai on the very first Pentecost, the very first Shavuot, is the original gospel, right? It's the Jewish good news, right? God so loved the world that he gave the Bible, (laughs) right? Makes sense, right? And look. Protestants, Catholics, were not raised to consider the gospel in the Old Testament. Uh, but it's a biblical reality that the Torah, the Old Testament, is the spiritual foundation for redemption, forgiveness, salvation, deliverance, messianic prophecy, and really what should be our Christian doctrine. Breaking news. Christianity is Jewish. But we're not taught to connect these biblical dots. But the truth is, once you begin to appreciate and understand this, which that's why we're here in Torah study. That's why God has you at New Beginnings. uh, We begin to uh, appreciate the Jewishness of the gospel. Remember years ago in the 7th, my boss is a Jewish carpenter? He's more than that. (laughs) Your boss is a Jewish rabbi. (laughs) And in reality, your boss, Yeshua, Jesus, is the living Torah. Okay? John 1.1, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And in verse 14, so the word became human and made his home among us. Living Torah. All right. So uh, did Jesus love the Torah? Or did he go from synagogue to synagogue uh, trying to destroy Torah scrolls? Like what was happening in, in Israel this past week. The burning down of synagogues. I saw... These precious men with flames of burning carrying Torah scrolls out of their synagogues to preserve the word. May you and I have that deep of a love for the word of God. And right now, uh, there's people in our government that would like nothing more than to burn down the, the Bible and close our churches and declare religion and Christianity and attending church is non-essential. So a lot of people struggle with uh, studying the uh, Old Testament, the Torah this way. 
And sometimes they point to Romans 10.4, one of the great scriptures uh, that has been mistranslated. Romans 10.4, Christ ended the law. Well, there it is. Christ ended the law. What the heck are you studying the Torah for? That's the law. Didn't Jesus come as a giant uh, eraser to erase all of that? God made this huge mistake. So all of that has to be plowed into a landfill uh, and uh, never to be heard of again. But that's an incorrect translation. I wonder why the translators chose the translation they chose. Could it be that they were sold out on replacement theology? Could it be they were fully committed to a narrative that Jews are bad, Christians are good? The translation in Hebrew is the goal at which the Torah aims is the Messiah. That's the correct translation. The goal at which the Torah aims, God is aiming, Torah, Yara, is an archery term meaning to hit the mark. If we want to hit the mark, Torah, follow the Torah, follow the Bible, follow God's guidelines. They're divine principles. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am the Lord, I change not. Why are we trying to fight against Moses? Are Jesus and Moses having a fist fight in heaven? But in the church, we're having fist fights over whether, why are you studying that Jewish stuff? Right? So Paul in Romans 10.4 is teaching the correct relationship we ought to have. The Torah, the goal at which the Torah aims is the Messiah. Hallelujah. So if you learn Torah, you're being guided to love and appreciate the Messiah. How many of you love Jesus? How many of you don't feel threatened by studying the Old Testament wisdom of God? Right. 1 Timothy 1.8 says, we know that the law is good when used correctly. If Paul said that to Pastor Timothy, who was in charge of the biggest church uh, uh, in, uh, uh, at that time, he sure missed a golden opportunity to abolish it. Why does he use that? For, we know the law is good when it's used correctly. Paul, why did you say that? We need a do-over. No, the church wants a do-over because it's the doctrines of men, not the doctrines of God. Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. God's principles, God's guidelines restore our soul. Romans 7.14, we know that the law is spiritual. The word for law should really be Torah. We know the Torah is spiritual. Joshua 1.8 says, keep the Torah, meditate on it day and night, and you'll be prosperous and successful. How many of you want to be a loser? How many of you want to go through life defeated, always losing? You're the McFly one that has the kick me sign taped to your back, and you keep wondering why life keeps kicking you. Because you're not following the Torah. Will I come to church? Well, you better dig a little deeper because God's word is true. His promises are yes and amen. Beloved, I pray above all things that you be in health and prosper even as your soul prospers. 
So Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5, 17. Don't misunderstand why I've come. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. I came to accomplish their purpose. And that purpose is still being accomplished today. That's what Ephesians 2 is all about. Jesus came to break down the middle wall of separation between Jews and Christians, but the church and the synagogue have been working for centuries to rebuild the wall God wanted broken down because of the doctrines of men. But now in the last days, all of that's changing. So there's hundreds of scriptures that show us from Genesis to Revelation, God's word is true and God's word is invaluable. Amen? In, uh, in Christianity, the giving of the Torah, as I mentioned, is Pentecost. And we celebrate the giving of the Holy Spirit. But what does the Holy Spirit come to do? To teach us what Jesus taught us. He's going to bring to your remembrance everything that you've been learning. Amen. He's going to guide you and counsel you and strengthen you and equip you so that you can be a victorious Christian. Who wants to be a victorious Christian? Lather, rinse, repeat. Traditions within the Judeo part of Judeo-Christianity, teach that as we build up towards Shavuot, Pentecost, 50, these 50 days, the counting of the Omer, from Passover to Pentecost, God has Israel on the very first journey, but then on the annual calendar, we're supposed to relive that. And use that as a appointed time to get something out of it. Amen. And what God uh, had taught uh, eons ago, millenniums ago, is this time period is the time to work on character traits. All right? Everybody has their character traits and quirks. Everybody has a personality type. Some of that personality type is a wonderful thing. Uh, But when righteous indignation, if you're the one that's always stirred up in the family, you have righteous indignation that can easily slip over into an angry spirit. And so God says, this is a time, to, if that's happening, to manage that. Uh, it, it could be that, uh, that you have the gift of uh, making money, the gift of business. You have the Midas touch. And that's a good thing because when it's used correctly, hallelujah, you can build the kingdom of God as you support and bless your family and friends. But that can leak over into a negative. Where that's all you care, that is my sole priority, making money. And now I got no time to come to church, no time to contribute into the spiritual realm. I'm too busy. So all of these different things uh, are things that God says, use this time to work on that. Amen? Amen. And so it's not a coincidence that God 
had the Torah study in Exodus 19 and 20 that describes the very first Shavuot, he named it after Jethro. In Hebrew, Yitro. Jethro, Yitro. Now, we all remember Jethro as Moses' father-in-law, right? But sometimes what goes a little less noticed is he was formerly a Gentile. And not only that, he was a pagan priest in Midian. And, and so, why would God name this special Torah portion about the giving of the Torah, the giving of the Ten Commandments, the giving uh, to Israel, the founding documents on how you would be one nation under God. Here you go, Israel. This is how you do it. That happened to America. It happened to Israel. Only two countries in human history that have been formed as one nation under God. And yet God names that after a Gentile. Hmm, what's going on here? Why, why, why would he name something after, there's no Torah study named after Abraham. There's no Torah study named after Moses. There's no Torah study to the, those great heroes of the faith, and yet there's a Torah study named after Jethro, Yitro. But the reason that God did it is because there's a hidden meaning there. Uh, and it shows us of God's desire to graft Gentiles into Israel. Joe, uh, Moses' father-in-law converted to serving Yahweh and rejected his pagan origins. Amen. Not only that, and here's the kicker, the very name Yitro which we've interpreted Jethro, not the guy from the Beverly Hillbillies. I eat like him, but (laughs) that's about the only thing I have in common. When I eat cereal, I get one of those big giant bowls and just, uh, where'd all the cereal go? Jethro ate it. (laughs) I mean, Dad. Yitro's name means adding on. Yitro's name means adding on. He added himself into and onto the nation of Israel and Moses and the Jewish people on their way to the promised land. That's revealing. That's amazing. It's not an accident, but it's another aspect of the divine design that God has for Gentiles, for Christians. This is what Paul's saying in Romans 11. Don't think you support Israel, O Roman legions, O big shot superpower. You don't support Israel. They support you, spiritually speaking. In other words, the richness of revelation and wisdom, the foundations, the essentials of wisdom and guidelines and principles and prophecy springs out of uh, a Jewish soil. Amen. Yitro means adding on. That's big. And what's also big 
is that in synagogues tonight, Jews will stay up all night reading Torah. But one of the key books of the Bible that is read in synagogues on this holiday is the book of Ruth. Why on earth the book of Ruth? Of all the books in the Bible, why Ruth? Ruth, of course, is a Gentile. She's a pagan Moabite princess. So her background is pagan and it's Gentile. And yet on Shavuot, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, Jews around the world for centuries and centuries have read the book of Ruth. What's the message? The message is that the Torah wasn't just for the Jews. It's for the world. And perhaps the most famous part of the book of Ruth is how in Ruth chapter 1, Ruth made the commitment to Naomi and the Jewish people. Naomi tried to talk her out of it. Go back home to Moab and be with your people. And Ruth tells Naomi in Ruth 1.16, uh-uh. Naomi, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wow. What a declaration. What a statement of faith. That's a born-again experience right there. And... In a sense, it's very similar to a wedding vow. A wedding vow is a declaration, an expression of love and devotion and surrender to the spouse. Right? And that's kind of what concept comes up during Shavuot. The concept of wedding vows just happens to be related to the celebration of Shavuot. Now you'd think that with what this holiday stands for, the giving of the Bible, the giving of the Holy Spirit, and now we're learning wedding vows, you'd think that that would rank real high on the list of favorite Bible holidays. But in reality, it's way down the list. Pastor and I, for instance, we were uh, in Jerusalem to celebrate Shavuot and Pentecost. Sometimes they fall on the same day. Sometimes they're a week apart like uh, this week. Sometimes they're even uh, weeks apart. But we were there on, and no, there were no tour buses. We kept asking, where are all the tour buses? This was like in 2018 or 17. Where are all the tour buses? How come people aren't making a pilgrimage like at other times and just filling the city? It's because Pentecost ranks further down the list. There's no Christmas tree to celebrate. There's no Sukkah to build. There's no Passover Seder. There's no cross involved. It's renewing marriage vows? Forget it. That go, let's bump that down. <laughs> That's the last thing I want to do. 
I take my cues from Ralph Cramden. To the moon, Alice, to the moon. So marriage is not always as happy and durable as it seems. Unless you do something to keep it alive. In virtually every case of marriage, once the courting stops, once the honeymoon's over, what's left is a lot of hard work. (laughs) I didn't get one amen. Can I get an amen from this side? Can I get an amen from that side? If you want to keep things fresh and new and special, you just can't be an old rusty dusty sitting in your easy chair 10 hours binge watching every day of the week 10 hours of Netflix and expect to have a happy marriage. It just doesn't work unless you both are binge watching together in a double wide chair and you got someone who can bring you the potato chips and ice cream. (laughs) Yeah, DoorDash. So it takes work to keep this special relationship called marriage going or else the wrong feelings and emotions might be produced. This is why God has on his divine calendar an annual cycle, the circle of life. Elton John, the Lion King. No, no, no. So we stir up the right emotions. This week, stir up the right emotions. Love, kindness, commitment. The basis of God giving the Ten Commandments is that it's a covenant. The Ten Commandments are the covenant. If you see, like a lot of the of Moses carrying the two tablets, that's usually what a ketubah, the marriage contract, looks like, like the Ten Commandments. And so on Shavuot, as Jews around the world read the Ten Commandments, they're reminded that I have a covenant commitment with the Lord that began 3,400 years ago. And in reality, uh, it's teaching that at this moment on God's calendar, we're reenacting the wedding day. On the very first Shavuot, God chose Israel amongst the nations to be his people. He granted them the Torah. They preserved the Torah all these years, all these centuries. And as a wedding gift, he gave them an unlimited dowry of promises. Yeah? For instance, read Deuteronomy 28, just for example. All in exchange for their commitment, for their faithfulness to serve him and become one nation under God so the world would have something to emulate. Listen to Exodus 19, verse 4, speaking of this. You have seen what I did to Egypt. And that I have borne you on the wings of eagles and brought you to me. This is, this is, he's saying this to two million people at Mount Sinai. Two million people are hearing this. Not just Moses at the top of the mountain. Two million people. 
Why did it stick so long? Two million people heard God say, I have brought you to me on eagle's wings. And now if you hearken well to me, observe my covenant, you shall be to me the most beloved treasure of all peoples. For mine is the entire world, says the Lord. You shall be to me a kingdom of ministers and a holy nation. Bam. All of that took place beneath God's hoopah at Mount Sinai. Our spiritual ancestors wholeheartedly pledged their allegiance to God and they gave the declaration in response to God giving them the Ten Commandments and the Torah by saying, we will do and then we will understand. What a statement of faith. Christians need to live by that statement of faith. You don't have to understand everything God says to do before you do it. Mom, why do I have to do that? You don't have to understand everything I'm asking you to do, sweetheart. Let's just do it, and then eventually you're going to understand. Christians get that backwards. They get, they're, they're like Timothy. Or excuse me, Thomas, doubting Thomas. I won't believe until I see. And God's way is believe and then you will see. But even if you didn't see, you obeyed God, fulfilled a mitzvah, and there'll be a blessing in it for you. You'll eventually see it. In Exodus 19, 17, It says, Moshe brought the people forth from the camp toward God, and they stood under the mountain. Moshe brought two million people to stand there and listen to God lay out the covenant vision. And the great Rabbi Rashi speaks of this scripture and he says, This tells us that the Shekinah glory, the divine presence, went out towards Israel like a bridegroom who goes out to meet his bride. Wow. Isn't that a great picture, a great image? It's not a coincidence that the Haftorah which is the prophetic reading connected with this week's Torah study, is out of Hosea. Boy, somebody's having a struggle back there. Close the door, keep out the noise. Close the door, keep out the noise. I rewrote the song. Anyway, the prophetic reading in Hosea 2.19, listen to this. I shall marry you to me forever. This is God speaking to Israel, not the church, to Israel, to the Jews. I shall marry you to me with righteousness and with justice and with kindness and with mercy. I shall marry you to me with fidelity and you shall know I am Hashem. The New Living Testament says it this way, I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know me as the Lord. Baruch Hashem. This is a prophetic word from Hosea. 
It concerns Israel. We, the church didn't appropriate this promise. God didn't kick Israel out as bride and now he's got a new bride, the church. It's a beautiful picture of God's love for Israel and it points us to the very last days just before this whole thing ends. Okay? This text, many others, are so precise about who is the bride of what we would call the bride of Christ. We've grown up in the church thinking that the church has replaced Israel as the bride of Christ. How many of you have heard that teaching? We're the bride of Christ. There's nowhere in the Bible that phrase is used concerning the church. We point to Ephesians 5, but it doesn't say that. It doesn't actually use the phrase the bride of Christ, the church. In reality, the church is the body of Christ. Oh, come on. The church is the body of Christ. We see that term over and over and over and over again. You're the body of Christ, church. So Jesus as the head is not marrying the body. That's kind of a crazy thought. The church is the body of Christ, and one day as the tribulation, the birth pangs, the tribulation unfolds, and all of a sudden there's a wave of revelation about the pierced one, the Messiah, who the Messiah is, all of a sudden things change. There's 144,000 Jewish evangelists. There's two Jewish witnesses preaching the gospel round the clock, and all of a sudden there's this revival, and, and all of a sudden the Messiah is recognized and then bam Armageddon comes Armageddon is a battle over who owns the land of Israel Israel isn't occupiers but they are the bride of Christ and so in a sense Christians are to understand all of this as more teaching on being grafted in Right? We're supposed to be looking at Israel with love. Because that's how God looks at Israel. Amen? Amen. And so the heart of the Shavuot celebration is really about relationship. Our relationship with the Word. The, the, the Torah and now for you and I that live with the New Covenant, New Testament revelation, it's not only the Torah, it's the living Torah. And that relationship needs to be strong, especially as the birth pangs intensify. It also speaks to our relationship as we've learned from Yitro and Ruth as uh, key examples that, that we need to have, Christians need to have a relationship with Israel. Praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Caring about what happens to the Holy Land. Understanding how all the biblical prophecies jointly fit together. As believers, we become a part of this. And just like at Mount Sinai, when Israel came together with God to form an unshakable, unbreakable bond, that's what's supposed to have happened at our altar call. That's 
I have made an unshakable, unbreakable commitment to Hashem and Yeshua, his son. And then expand that into loving Israel. I love Israel. I don't care what the haters say. And they've said a lot this week. That's what we're trying to do here at New Beginnings, though. We're trying to renew people's marriage vows to include, I love Israel. There's a damaged relationship between Christians and Jews that needs to be restored. We're not going to Israel and stand on the street corner in Jerusalem with a sign, turn or burn. (laughs) Not a real good strategy. Yeah, it's not an icebreaker. We're learning how to tear down walls of division. Can we just be friends first? You've been killing us for 2,000 years. Can we just be friends for a minute before you start evangelizing and proselytizing? I don't even know if you like me. (laughs) This is what Paul was writing about. There's the banner, Ephesians 2. There's coming a day when the Messiah will help both Jew and Gentile, Jew and Christian, to understand that the purpose is to bring the two together to form one new man. That day will come. Calling Jews Christ killers, really, as Andy said, that's not much of an icebreaker. (laughs) You Christ killer! Let me leave you with this and then we'll close. There's a prophetic word from Zechariah. Many prophetic words about this. But in the last days, Zechariah said in Zechariah 8.23, this is from the New Living Testament, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies say. And the Lord of Heaven's army is saying this, the closer we get to Armageddon, the Armageddon, Armageddon, God is going to reveal himself as the Lord of heaven's armies. Because there is a major showdown coming. You understand that. And it's important to be on the right side. How many of you are on the right side? I know you are. In those days, ten men from different nations and language of the world will clutch at the sleeve of one Jew and they will say, please let us walk with you. For we have heard that God is with you. A lot of scriptures like that. That there's coming a day when all the hostilities, the animosities, the defensive attitudes, the replacement theology, all of that's going to fade away and we're going to go into the thousand year reign of the Messiah, amen, as one new man celebrating amazing grace forever and ever and ever. Do you receive that this morning? Happy Shavuot. God bless you. Have a great morning.